Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information regarding positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, wellness, rejuvenating, and lots of related things. It's also uh, the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for upcoming podcasts. As listeners of the podcast know, my goal is always to provide you with guests who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and who have different ways of helping us to become the best versions of ourselves. And uh, we're indeed fortunate to add to that lineup today with Dr. Sasha Hines. She is an academic who then went mainstream using her background as a developmental psychologist to become a mindset coach who teaches people the science of getting unstuck. She's an expert in positive psychology and adult development. And she has based her entire career on helping clients make real transformations, giving them the tools to develop the mental fitness, their mental fitness by facing challenges and breaking the mind's default modes for stress, self-criticism, and anxiety, which means that uh, there's no shortage of people who need help in that area. And so it's with great pleasure, uh, Dr. Sasha Hines, welcome you to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It is a real pleasure to have you as a guest on our podcast. Oh, thanks, Ron. I'm so delighted to be here. Great. Well, looking forward to our conversation. And maybe, um, I mean, we've had a few coaches over the 150 or so episodes that we've tried. I don't know that I've had anybody who called herself a mindset coach. And so what is the mindset coach? How does that differ from the myriad of other coaches out right. there and uh, kind of enlighten us in that? I think it's a very good question. I will say this, the whole industry of coaching, I always wanted to be a coach, even in the beginning, before I went back to graduate school, um, you know, in the early 2000s. But back then it was such a new field. And I, I am not sure why the, because in my mind, the work that we do as coaches is the work of adult development. I am not entirely sure why it got, who decided that this was the name that we were going to call this, you know, a coach, a life coach, uh, whoever came up with it, I don't know, but um, it's, it's not a particularly precise title or label, but nonetheless, it's sort of what by default we've been, we're called. Um, I'm not a psychotherapist, but I, I do work in the field of adult development, helping you know, people uh, expand and develop and and transcend developmental tasks, which is really the work we should be doing in adulthood. Everyone, just like kids develop, so do adults. It doesn't stop. And so anyway, I, I ended up being a life coach because or a coach, just because that's what we were, that's what we're called. 
you know, those of us that are more oriented toward uh, development and growth as opposed to, you know, mitigating disease disorder and pathology in my field of psychology. So, but what, the reason why I call myself a mindset coach is that really any behavioral change, which is really the business of the work I do, so helping people change their behavior, you know, to something that works better, makes them feel better, gives them better results. And the, you know, your mindset, uh, every behavioral change is an expression of a mindset change. We, we don't ever make lasting change in our life if we don't actually change the way that we think about it. Um, so any lasting change that someone's made, they've radically changed the way they think about it. So that's why I call myself a mindset coach. That's really the work. Okay. That really makes sense. Now, how does somebody know if, uh, they need or can benefit from a mindset coach? Typically, um, you know, there's sort of two types of problems. We often mistake one for the other. So there's, you know, technical problems and there is what we call adaptive problems. So in the world of, let's say, you know, for example, something to do with, you know, diet, let's say a technical problem is I just don't know enough information. You know, let me <laughs> something very basic. I didn't know that me, I could swap out um, my nightly bowl of ice cream for fruit. Who knew that that was going to do, you know, help me with my waistline and also make me feel better, not eating as much sugar, et cetera, all those things. Okay. So it's a technical problem because it's just a matter of learning some new information and then applying that information and making a change. Now, there are a lot of things in our life that that's all that's required. We just don't know. We just didn't know. We just need some new information. And then we apply it. Adaptive problems are something else. And any, we all have areas where we're, we're struggling with an adaptive problem. And what's an adaptive problem? It really is a problem that requires a wholesale transformation of our beliefs, our attitudes, our identities. It's not about information. It's about transformation. It's not about putting new information in. It's about actually changing the container, you know, changing the shape of our mind, so to speak, changing the lens through which we see something, a total perspective shift. So you might learn, for example, that you, someone goes to a conference, they hear someone speaking about health and wellness, and they learn a bunch of tips about how to change their diet to optimize their health. Okay, so they now know something. Then they go home and this odd thing happens. It's surprisingly hard to implement those changes. Why? This is the work I do with my clients. This, this intention action gap. Why, even when I know something, why can't I get myself to do it? What is the problem here? And this is not a technical problem. This is an adaptive problem. This is, a, you know, the, the barrier to behavioral change is about, what we believe, what we think is threatening, our identity, our sense of identity, and so on, our values, and so on and so forth. So, you know, that is um, really in my mind, the work that I do with my clients is helping them identify. Often people have been trying to solve an adaptive problem with a technical solution and it's not working. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, and but thank you for putting it in perspective. Now, also, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, you operate from kind of the positive psychology side of the continuum where, where I like to function too. Uh, I'm wondering how did you happen to go in that direction and how might somebody who sees you 
get a different type of uh, approach than somebody who might see someone who isn't positive psychology oriented. Right. Uh, I mean, my interest in positive psychology is longstanding, but I, I just love conceptually this idea that, you know, I think it was in uh, 2004, maybe I read Martin, Martin Seligman, who's a, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania in your neck of the wood. He wrote a book called Authentic Happiness. And I just remember reading this. It just had come out and thinking to myself, oh, I love this concept, I, this idea of, you know, that there's a psychology that I was very aware of that existed to about disease disorder dysfunction, right? About like, what's wrong with us? What, what do we, what, how are we broken? How do we need to heal? You know, what's gone wrong? And then how do we fix it? But he was really focusing on and sort of at the time uh, establishing a new field of psychological study that was primarily focused on optimal human functioning, the causes and correlates of happiness, what, what makes a life worth living, you know? And that was so exciting to me. Oh my goodness, we can actually approach from with some rigor, from with some scientific rigor, looking at questions of how do we live even better? How do we make life, you know, more meaningful, more fun, you know, more, all the more, right? How do we make, how do we improve our relationships and how do we get more out of our life and um, develop a better relationship with ourselves and all of these things? It isn't about mitigating, you know, in the medical model, of I've got an illness, I need it fit, I need to go, you know, get it treated, as opposed to I'm fine, I'm okay, but I want something more. And I, you know, like I'm I want to explore what might be possible, what lean into my potential. This this concept of um that sort of uh forward focused, future focused orientation really spoke to me. I thought it was just to me, it was just you know, the most exciting thing. And it was all very new at the time. Yeah. And I think that uh, the whole goal of the field is, is really to help people thrive and flourish as opposed mm -hmm. to get from down here to neutral or something like that, exactly. move on. But I'm wondering, how do you see uh, the, the difference between what you do and somebody who would see a therapist is is there some kind of thing that that a person can evaluate within themselves say hey you know i i really need this kind of work or i really need this or don't need this mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's such a great question and 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 i think not a necessarily an easy one to answer because it's so personal to each each individual i think that this idea that they're um, mutually exclusive is a problem. You know, it's, we can do the work of healing and also the work of developing at the same time. You know, it, we don't have to just do one or the other. They can complement each other. And, and this is a different set of skills. You know, a psychotherapist who's working or a clinical psychologist who's working with a patient has a different skill set than I do. And they're working on different things in a different way. So um, it would be essentially be saying, you got to pick, you can either go to the doctor or you can have, you know, a trainer, but can't have both, right? Like we, that sounds so nuts. Like what, that makes no sense. Um, having both is probably a good idea. <laughs> you need them at different times. You need them for different things. They do completely, uh, they have a different skill set. So to me, I sort of think of the, you know, the work of coaching and the work of psychotherapy in the same way that they're complementary of each other, just a different, um, different set of skills and a different set of goals. 
you know, for, for the client or the patient. I think in childhood, we're very interested in the developmental arc of a kid, right? So from the time they're born, even in utero, we're looking at their development. Are they developing normatively? Are they within the realm of normal? And this is the conversation that parents are having with doctors at the well checks. This is what conversation parents are having with teachers at a parent-teacher conference. Do things, are things on track? Are they hitting their milestones? And that is not just academic or physical milestones. Those are also social-emotional milestones. Does this child, are they able to, are they growing and developing um, in their social skills, in their ability to handle and tolerate um, conflict? Are they developing in these areas and in a normative way? And that's very much the conversation that parents are having with, you know, doctors, teachers, et cetera. And then we hit the 20s. And all of a sudden, we're not interested in someone's developmental arc anymore, as if it's over. But that's just not true. So, you know, there's a growing uh, body of literature and research that's really looking at what is the continuation of this developmental, the developmental curve doesn't end until we're six feet under. So what, what are we doing to develop normatively, we should be growing and developing in adulthood just as we are in childhood. And when we're not, it often leads to languishing, right? We are, we are growers. We're organisms that grow and develop. That's part of our natural state. And so when we're stalled or stuck, or we're kind of, you know, not moving forward in our life, and that means, you know, developing a wider perspective, um, you know, being developing various competencies and master mastering certain skills and becoming wiser. That's not necessarily correlated with age. You know, we have to engage and actively work on these things. Um, if we're not engaging in that development in adulthood, it will lead to languishing. It will lead to dysfunction and dysphoria. So being, you know, engaging in one's growth and development in adulthood, which very much is the work that I do, um, I think is the protective factor against depression, anxiety, and some, you know, and, and, and other issues. Well, I think we're, we're kindred spirits in, in that. Certainly it's one of the things that I've been concerned with in my current work is the fact that a lot of times people will get to a retirement age and then it's like, it's okay to not know what you're going to do to not have a purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's what I've been railing about for a while. But can you talk to this whole issue of adult development more? Because I, it probably is a pretty new concept to some of our listeners, the notion that it's not just, well, you're raising your children, you're going to work, uh, maybe you'll uh, go out on the weekend, uh, eat dinner, go to bed, stuff like that. But uh, that that's there's probably some important stuff to be aware of uh, during the adult years uh, than, than, than is the case uh, or as is the case with younger children, but it doesn't get that kind of mention. So I, I'm really glad to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. And you know, it's so funny is that I, uh, when I was at Penn in 2000, it was 2005 that where I was at Penn and one of our guest professors was a wonderful man named George Valiant, who's wrote, written a number. I mean, he's, 
you know, he's taken over a lot of these longitudinal studies. And so the books that he's written has been based on, you know, the Harvard, you know, the Harvard cohort and the Stanford cohort. And, you know, a lot of these that they've been studying this cohort from the thirties on. And so anyway, there's a lot of rich information and he wrote a wonderful book called aging. Well, I cannot recommend it enough. It's wonderful where he really walks through the different developmental stages in adulthood. He's sort of taken um, Eric Erickson's framework and extended it into adulthood. It's wonderful. And you really begin. And, and it was funny because at the time I was at Penn, I was only 25 years old. So I was a wee child, but I so understood what he was trying to say. And actually it's so, it, 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 it was one of the reasons why I wanted to do the work that I do now, which is this understanding of, isn't this the most hopeful news in the world? It doesn't end that there's always Great. some challenge. There's always some um, new stage of, of growth that we are, you know, that's our task to accomplish or to um, transcend. And this, it gives us such purpose and meaning throughout our whole life of, you know, all the important things that, that we, as human beings that we do over the life course. And so, you know, as we age, there is a period of time where it's sort of career consolidation, where, you know, putting your effort and energy into building a career, developing a certain degree of mastery, developing confidence in your skill set, all of these things, very, very important in that stage. But if you don't ever transcend that developmental stage, you are in for a, a not particularly pleasant yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s, right? 90s. If you if you're still stuck in that career consolidation mode, not great, right? So it it's it's a really important phase stage, and then you need, we need to grow out of it, and we need to transcend it and move on. And then our then our orientation needs to be more about generativity and giving back and being a mentor, right? How do we mentor people? How do we bring that the people 15 years behind us along and teaching them the ropes and helping them establish their career in their career consolidation phase, right? How are we mentoring them? And then as we move on from that generativity phase, we're moving on to being, you know, the keepers of meaning and being, you know, a, a person in your family and your community that is kind of holds this torch for what matters and is wise and giving wise counsel. Um, you know, my father is now, I, I have the great blessing of having my parents live near, they've moved um, to my town. They live right down the street from us. And every Monday morning, I call it Mondays with Maury. My Tuesday was Maury, like hang out with my dad. We go on a walk every Monday. It's part of my everyday week routine. But part of the beauty of this is that I get, advice and counsel from my father who sees things totally differently than I do. He was an entrepreneur and worked really hard in his life. And he's the one who's saying to me, Hey, you know, pick your nose up, see things. I, there are things that I regret and I'm not telling you you're doing something wrong. I'm saying from my vantage point of what I've learned of what really matters in life, here are the things I wish I had done differently. It's not a criticism, but it's just counsel. Think about it. His role in my life is profoundly important, the same as it is for my grandchildren. That relationship's so important. The work that he does is different than the work he was doing as he was building a career, but it's no less important. You know, so watching him develop 
Um, and, and seeing his perspective change over the years has been kind of a, you know, it's been an exciting and, and lovely thing to see and, and frankly, inspiring. That's terrific. And I know how lucky you are to have, have your parents around as, uh, uh, and apparently being very vital and so on. And I but I, but the thing I want to add is like, I'm lucky to have my parents around in part because my father is engaged in his own growth and development and, and that, and so that's the, the important thing is that he, you know, I think he's really, he's very open about the things he's wrestled with and the struggles he had. And, and when he retired, I mean, the loss of his identity, was earth shattering to him. It was extremely hard. But I think he, going through that with him, recognizing that was for him a call to actually have to dismantle his whole identity and rebuild a new one. And as daunting as that was, you know, the fruit of that has, is the guidance he's now able to give me now. That's a wonderful story. So, well, now that we've been talking about adults, let me ask you about the other end of the the age range, if somebody is a conscientious parent, uh, and hopefully they're working on their own development too, but what are some of the basic principles to keep in mind other than, you know, make sure that they get their kids to the well baby visits and uh, to school and all that, the the stuff that, that we've been doing for generations. Um, what are some of the things that contribute to raising uh the kind of child who will be a positive adult? Yeah, a great question. I think that um, so much of the, you know, I'm a parent, I have, an, a, at the moment, I have an 11 and an eight-year-old. It is that, some wise counsel my dad gave me once was, uh, he said, if you have children to fulfill you, you are in for a world of hurt. But if you have children to grow and develop who you are, you know, to, to, to push you, to challenge you to, to like, then as this will make your life so much richer and so much more fulfilling, but through that way, but if you if you want your children to sort of fulfill your dreams or whatever, it's a fulfillment of your dream. Like it is not going to go very well, you know, cause they are not going to comply with this agenda, uh, which is true. So, you know, I think that most importantly for parents, it's recognizing that, the, the work that they're doing to continue to grow and move forward allows their children to have the space to grow and to move forward. When we get stuck, we make, there's no room for our children. If we're still wrestling with, like, if we are still struggling with being more self-authored, um, making our own choices, being able to um, internalize someone else's opinion, and then, you know, we're able to sort of hear someone's point of view and still, and, and weigh that in the balance and make our own choices as an adult. This is sort of more self-authored developmental stage for adults. Like we're more self-authored. We want to become more self-authored over time. If we haven't moved toward self-authorship, it's very hard to, you know, give your children the space to find their own voice and develop who they are and, and, you know, give them the space they need to grow. So, you know, our growth matters so much to our children, even though it's indirectly affecting them, it's, it's profound. Like, I think we focus, I think we focus and we obsess too much on the tactical stuff. Like 
Are they doing their, you know, whatever, like that they, you know, oh my gosh, this parent is signing their child up for such and such an after school thing. And my child isn't, and that's a problem, you know, whatever it is. Like we get, we get too wrapped up in that stuff. But the reality is it's really about if we are modeling growth and development, we're giving our child space to do the same. Wonderful advice. And thank you for that. One of the things in, in, uh, in introducing you that I, wanted to make sure I get to, as you said, that you uh, provide your clients with tools for developing their mental fitness by, among other things, breaking our mind's default mode for stress, self-criticism, and anxiety. Tell us a little bit about that. What do we mean by default modes and what are they and uh, why are they happening? Why is it default as as opposed? Right. I mean, it's not it's not a default for everyone. Um, You know, I think that it's a complicated it's a complicated mix of factors that that might you know there's there's genetic there's there's gene there's environment there's attachment there's all sorts of things that the interplay of all of these things that can affect our nervous systems our habitual ways of being that we learned as children, some of it may be propensity, you know, some a biological propensity to be more hypervigilant about certain things. Um, some of it, you know, temperament, some of it more learned behavior. So it's a whole host of things so that, you know, it's not one or the other. Nonetheless, you know, there really is ways of managing our mind. You know, we sort of, we have, our, our brain is enormously important. Our mind is arguably the most important thing we got is our mind. Um, and not much else, not much happens without it, like basically nothing. And we take very little care of it at all. You know, we're not really interested in engaging with it, thinking about what we think, questioning what we think, learning how to tolerate emotional experiences, you know, and, and doing the work of actually of self-inquiry and trying to understand ourselves and getting more skillful at directing this wild thing that's over our, you know, on our shoulders. A lot of what our mind does is fairly irrational. A lot of it was, you know, laid down their belief systems or assumptions that were laid down in childhood. And most adults walk around with those assumptions completely unquestioned. They just and you'll see this, and I see this with my clients when they're saying things to me. I mean, very smart, very sophisticated people. Not, is this not correlated with IQ? I know this developmental growth or developmental stage and IQ are not related. So um, someone who's incredibly bright and then tells me something like, if I go on vacation and don't answer emails for a few days, I'm going to lose my clients. Okay, that's right. Like we got a very bright person telling me something that is objectively not particularly nuanced, but this is a belief system that they picked up when they were younger and it sort of stuck with them over time, right? If I disappoint someone, something catastrophic will happen. Okay. They may have learned this in childhood. So our job in adulthood is actually questioning these beliefs that shape our reality. They shape how we show up and they shape how we respond to things, questioning them and beginning to slowly um, with, you know, modestly, safely, not don't put yourself in the line of fire, so to speak, but being able to test out an experiment. Is this actually true? Does this, is this belief system accurate? 
Maybe sometimes it's accurate. Is it always accurate? You know, we need to grow up our beliefs in the same way that we grow up. And often we've not grown up our beliefs at all. And, and that's really our work as, as adults is, you know, do we carry around a bunch of ideas and assumptions and beliefs that may have seemed true in the context of our family when we were nine, but actually don't really make sense anymore? They haven't evolved as we've evolved or they haven't grown as we've grown. Really enlightening and uh, especially that point that there is no real relationship to IQ or intelligence in this regard. No, and in fact, it's sort of a hindrance because often my, you know, those clients are so bright and are so capable. So they have this extra layer of shame, which is what's wrong with me? You know, how can I be so, I know I'm smart. I know I'm capable. How can I get tripped up by this thing? I know I shouldn't, this shouldn't be an issue, but it is right. Um, I'm so, I'm, I'm this incredibly capable person. And yet I'm, why am I having this reaction to one of the, uh, you know, a friend being disappointed in me? Like I I'm, you know, it feels so painful and hard it doesn't add up. And this is because, right, these are, these are developmental issues. Okay. Well, thanks for answering that as usual. And I always have more questions than I have time, but there are a few things that I want to make sure we deal with. First of all, what does coaching with you, somebody coming for coaching with you, what's that look like? Is it something that come, somebody comes to an office? Do they do it online as uh, what 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 does the process involve with your mindset coaching? I work with I I have a group coaching experience called Mind Your Mind. It's a membership that um, we do. You know, group coaching. I coach live hot seat coaching. You can get volunteer if you want to be one of the people to get coached. You can. You know, there are classes. I there's courses in the inside Mind Your Mind where I teach about mindset. I teach about you know basic sort of the, the rule book of your brain kind of heuristics and biases of the brain and understanding sort of some of those defaults of how your brain works and how do you work with them, you know, understanding emotions, all of these things. I have courses on all these topics inside mind your mind. So it's sort of a learning environment and also, but most importantly, a practice environment, a place to come and practice um, managing your mind and working on your thinking and, and thinking more effectively which we all need practice doing. It's something you don't learn. It's a skill set you develop. Um, so it's a it's a place to get um, become more skillful in in doing so. So you know there are classes and courses and things that you can take inside Mind Your Mind. And then I work with one on one. I work very few people a year, probably I mean, no more than two at a time that I'm working with someone one on one anymore. But I actually really love. I mean, I've moved everything to this uh, to more of a community approach because. I deeply believe that it's in community, it's doing this work together and in watching, when you watch someone else get coached, what are you doing? You're practicing the skill of self-distancing. You're listening to someone, they're thinking, you're listening to how they're thinking and how their thinking is getting in their way and reflecting on like, oh yeah, I have that thought too, or I do that too. And you're beginning to, you know, in the, in the ACT literature, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy, you're really learning to defuse your thoughts from you, you know, the, the thinking you from the observing you, and you're able getting better 
at parsing these two out so that you're observing you can look at the thinking you and make objective decisions, like right? As opposed to being totally enmeshed in your thinking or fused to your thinking in that language. So, you know, the the mind your mind as a community is really that place that you're you're really learning and developing these skills um, to do that. So that's really what the practice is, has become, which is, I love it. It's been so much fun. And where do people find you, how they learn about you? And are you out in social media too? Or how? Yeah, I'm on my, my website is um, drsashahines.com. So D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z.com. And the same handle on Instagram. So um, at D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z. And you can find me on Instagram. I don't really hang out on any of the other social platforms. One is <laughs> enough um, for me. But um, yeah, find me there. And in October, we're opening up or in, in September, we're opening up to start in Octa a new um, cohort of members in our Mind Your Mind community, it's sort of, you know, a personal development gym for women. And, um, and it's just been, and also, you know, I also have, you can get courses that I run while I'll also be getting, you can also find those on my website as well um, come the fall. So, um, but yeah, it's, it, to me, this is not, it's not about, being broken or needing to be fixed. It's about actually paying attention to and, and building that fitness, that mental fitness um, that every single one of us needs to be doing to, be, to develop a better relationship with our mind um, so that our mind is not, you know, it's not the tail wagging the dog. It's the other way around. You know, we have more mat, we're developing more mastery with our wily brain. And much the same as uh, again with my with the mental health gym that you don't need if you use the the physical gym as a corollary that uh, you know when you go to the gym it's not that everybody's out of shape and overweight and stuff like that the people who want to continue to be healthy are the people who are working out and I think it makes so much sense exactly applies with you know, probably the most important thing that you've got carrying around with you, and that's your brain. Totally. And I think one of the pitfalls of sort of the modern culture is that normal developmental challenges, normal developmental challenges around identity, shifting identity, et cetera, things like that over time, it happens again and again and again as we grow older. We've made them into something pathological. Like we need to, you know, we need, this is terrible and, and we need healing. It's like, well, what if this is just normal and you need some support to be able to handle it more effectively, but it's very normal what, you know, what someone's going through. So, you know, that is my, my hope is that in the future, we really have a different relationship with the work that we do on our own self and our own personal development and see it through a totally different lens. Well, I think it's just wonderful what you're doing as kind of a pioneer in that direction. Uh, all the information that you gave us, the contact information will be in the show notes and uh, really, really have gained a lot from listening to you again. As I said at the beginning, we're kind of in the same side of the, the spectrum, but I learned a whole lot more about human development and a whole lot more about you and your program. So I am really grateful that you spent this time with us. 
Uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing more of your program evolve and spread and hopefully many, many more uh, of us will be out in the world spreading the world, spreading the word that you want to be able to focus on wellness, thriving, flourishing, that it's not a matter of going from disease to neutral, but really moving forward. And I, I applaud you for your contribution to that. Well, thank you for having me on and, and thank you for the work that you do in this area too. It's so important. Thank you. And so that brings to a close another episode of uh, Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our special guest has been Dr. Sasha Hines. Sasha, it's just been wonderful talking with you. Hope that uh, you will be attending to the show notes and see how you can get in touch with Dr. Hines and move forward with your life because she's not the kind of person you see for wallowing or for somebody to ask you, how'd you do this week? And next week you can tell her what you did next week, but rather move forward, moving forward, develop the coping strategies that overcome the kind of those default uh, functions of the mind. And uh, let's make this world a better, more positive place as, as more people feel better about themselves. And uh, as we sign off, again, I hope that you will tell your friends about the podcast. I hope you'll download, rate, review it, and be back next week when we have another interesting guest to help us become better versions of ourselves. Again, please visit the Mental Health Gym for all kinds of wellness-related information to supplement what we hear on the podcast. And everybody stay positive, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.